0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we speak with George Glazier, the CEO of Western Uranium Corp. Now many of you have sent in your questions um, and queries, and we have spent a lot of time going through those with George. We talk about George's recent statement about selling ore to the US government and what he meant by that. Um, we also look at the licensing issues that he's facing at the moment and the realities of how he's going to solve those and what it's going to take to get those over the line. We discussed their ablation technology or kinetic separation technologies has now been rebranded and the realities of the timing, cost and implement- implementation of that. And we discuss the mill, the famous mill. So there's a relationship between George and Energy Fuels and I think uh, George is keen to re establish that relationship and toll his ore at the White Mesa Mill. We discussed that. And uh, George gives us an insight into how he's going to get this thing financed going forward. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, George. How are you, sir? Uh, very good. Fantastic. You're in PDAC at the moment, pounding the, the streets and uh, manning the stand, are you? Oh, that's right.
1: You know, I've been at PDAC for a few days. It's, it's you know one of the big conferences. Of course, you've been here before,
0: so you know. I, I don't miss it, George, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's quite a big one. There's like sort of 30,000 people. I mean, what's the turnout been like, obviously, with this coronavirus? I've, I've heard a few reports.
1: It, it's a bit lower. I think maybe the virus has kept a few people away. The companies are here, but maybe not quite the investor. Uh, that's what we're seeing. We had a booth here and
0: not quite the uh, traffic as in past years. I, I'm hearing that um, resounding message. Um, well, George, first time I've spoken to you guys. Uh, so thank you very much for that, first of all. Um, this is a story new to our investors. So one wonder if you can give us that one minute one minute overview of the company and then we'll pick it up from there.
1: Well, a quick overview of the company, of course, we're a US uh, uh resource holder with uranium and vanadium uh, in the states of Utah and Colorado. Uh, mine's ready to go into production. The Sunday mine complex was opened this last summer. Uh, it's, it's virtually ready to go. My, uh, ore was stockpiled in the mines. Last week, we finished building three ore pads at the, at the complex so that we can take the ore, move, move it to the outside and then truck it off site uh, when the market is, is right. So we have a fairly large resource holding, 43101s or York standards on a number of our resources. Uh, investors can get onto our website and look at that. Uh, so there's a quick overview
0: of the company. Beautiful, beautiful. Actually, you touched upon something there, which um, was the the orpads, because um, I think there was a little bit of kerfuffle in the market uh, at the beginning of the year when I think the the the. the um, Colorado uh, Department for Reclamation, Mining and Safety. Um, we're talking to you about the licenses on all five mines under the Sunday Mine, Sunday mine Complex. So what, what's happened with that? I know you've, there's been a couple of press releases, but what, if you don't mind running us through that.
1: Well, if I can give you a background on what happened. This started with a mine that we own called the Van4. The Van 4 was a mine we also acquired from energy fuels when we acquired the Sunday Mine Complex. And at that time, the Van 4 was in the first of a five-year temporary cessation, which was granted by the department of the state. So uh, several years later, that first five years expired. We went in to extend it under the regulations of the the state. You had two five-year temporary cessations. And if you didn't go into mining activities or if you didn't go into activities, then you would have to reclaim the mine. So we went in and applied for and were granted the second five-year extension by the board. What happened, the antis sued the board and at the district court in Colorado, the, the board won. The district court says you have followed your regulations and, and the company, which was this case Western, had a right to apply for and be granted a second five-year extension. Well, the Antis took that to the Colorado Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals reversed that decision and says, we believe that the state statute really means that you have to have physical activity. Now the Van 4 probably wasn't operated until maybe the last operation was 2000. So clearly it didn't have physical activity, uh, virtually anything. We did some maintenance on the surface, but we didn't do anything leading towards mining at the Van 4. So that decision, you know, basically uh, the district court was reversed and with the district court ordered the, the board to uh, revoke the operating license of the van board and put it into reclamation. So that was done, oh that was about a year, year and a half ago. So knowing that other mines in the state of Colorado, not just the Sunday complex, are on temporary cessation, and the Sunday mine is in that same status, we basically said, okay, we're gonna have physical activity. We're going to go into the mining mode. We opened the mine uh, last summer, and we operated it, we actually produced ore, because that satisfied clearly in our minds the 10-year period. The mine was last operated by Denison Mines in 2009 and 2010, And then it went into this period of temporary cessation. So we meet the physical test, okay? But again, because of the decision of the courts, uh, the, the division now is looking at all mines that are in this temporary cessation status to decide if they have to, you know, basically go into reclamation. So again, we're probably the first test case where the Sunday mine will have a hearing in April to determine what we've done and uh, whether we're in active status. And we believe we've done everything to comply with what they say is active status. Now they're actually going through a rulemaking to determine going forward what active status means. They don't have good standards right now. Active status could be just about anything based on the current uh, interpretation. So they are going through a rulemaking to set that down and say, this is active status. And that probably won't be finished for a year. But that doesn't apply. We, we contend this doesn't apply to us. We can't wait a year. I mean, they're going to do the hearing now. We are active under the standards as they've applied it in the past. And we will be actively pursuing that at this hearing in April. So we believe that the mines will be declared active. Now, other mines in Colorado may not be. There's a number of them that have not been physically active, not that we own them. And those are subject, potentially, to the same treatment of the, you know, the Van 4.
0: Right. Okay. So, you, you're claiming you're active because you're physically doing things in and around the mine and underground in terms of stock, stockpiling ore. We
1: were prepared to take the mines out and ship ore. What happened is, under we were just going to take it directly from the loaders, put it into the trucks and haul it off-site. Well, the mine permit basically said before you take ore out of the mines, you have to have ore pads, even if you don't yep. use them. So they said, "Don't take the ore out until you build the ore pads." So that Which was you've just done. You, so you've just we done are that. now prepared to take the ore out. But again, we've complied with their their requirements, right, to the letter of. of
0: well, let's let's finish off on those, George. I mean, you're they they actually did a couple of other things, and and I noticed in the press release you say you have done those things. Um, being uh, what, so we'll run through what you have done, what you spent money on.
1: What we had to do, there were three things requirements. One, we want they. Required us to cover the low-grade stockpile and that was done even before we opened the mine. So, we did that and they signed off on it a great job. We opened the mine, we were mining ore, and they said there's two other things we want you to do. We want you to, you know, finish it. well, the upgrading of the storm drainage system, which there was already a storm drainage system there, but it needed some upgrading and some repairs. So, that was one of the requirements. We finished that about Two months ago and announced that and they signed off on that and the third requirement was the construction of the ore pads to the design that was already approved so that was done by an independent contractor uh, certified by an independent engineer that report was submitted last week to the state and they should sign off on that shortly and say fine the ore pads are constructed according to the design that's been approved in the in the permit
0: Right. So that, that, that answers the questions which they raised last September to you. So you spent time when you received that letter in September through till recently getting that done.
1: Right. And, and clearly what we did first, we did the storm drainage, that took a while, and then you couldn't under the, the license or the permit procedure, you couldn't build the ore pads if there were too much moisture or the ground was frozen. So we were basically waiting for the, the right conditions, weather conditions, which we had this February to construct those ore pads. That's why we didn't do that first, simply because we didn't have the right conditions. Okay. But now that is all finished.
0: Okay. So you feel you have done what they've asked. You're walking or confidently walking into this meeting in April, expecting to be able to argue the case that you are an active mine again on that basis. Yeah. Okay. Now you mentioned a, a phrase like anti's. What, what do you mean anti's? Are these these are people who are anti-mining in Colorado. What, what are they doing?
1: Yeah, we're we're actively mining, and we're you know we're removing ore. We put ore in the mine, and we stockpiled it in the mine because they wouldn't let us take it out. So there is actually ore that was mined, stockpiled right. in the mine, waiting for the conditions to be satisfied. So we've done a lot of things. We went in there. We we did drilling, we did all kinds of activities, but we actually mined ore. You know, if that's not active, I'm not sure any mine would ever be active.
0: Right. No. So I wasn't saying active. I was uh, referring to a phrase you used earlier, which is the antis have been petitioning and affecting the the behavior of the Colorado mining uh, div- the, the division. So you know, are you being affected by these anti mining? Uh, Petitions—is that what you were talking about?
1: Well, you know, there'll be probably somebody at that hearing that's you know contest whether we were active. You know, that's that's you know, that's the point. And I'm not sure what their their arguments will be under the existing rules and the way they've administered those. We're active. You know, I'm not sure what their argument would be. They may say, "Well, uh, wait till the new rules come out." But uh, we're basically saying. You, gotta, you have to operate under your existing rules, and this is a hearing before the new rules if whatever they are, are out. So again, we believe, and we believe the new rules also will be pretty broad. There'll be a number of activities that constitute active mining, not just mining ore. Because when you're developing a mine, when you're doing that, that's certainly active. Uh, and, and that's why I think they have to have a broad definition, and we'll see what comes out. And that's what they've had in the past.
0: Right. Okay. So you, you, they're anti-mining, um, but they're using the argument that you have been inactive for that 10-year period. Therefore, that's where, that's where they're hanging their coat on, right?
1: When Energy Fuels bought the mine, they actually put in monitor wells. all right, right. And, and So there was activity there. It, it didn't produce any ore, but they did things there more than just maintaining. And that's the other argument. That was done in 2012 and 2013, after Energy Fuels acquired the mines from Denison. So there was activity during that 10-year period, and certainly activity, you know, during 2019.
0: Okay, you're feeling confident. You will continue to spend money between now and that hearing in April, um, keeping the mine active. Um, so. So, what are the things that you're going to be doing between now and then, and how much are you going to be spending doing those things?
1: Again, you know, we're probably already active without taking that ore and putting it on the ore pad. Uh, Mm -hmm. But again, that may be something we do open up the mines and take the ore out and put it on the ore pad. We do have some places that we could ship samples of that ore. If you will recall, one of the reasons we opened this mine was because of the very high-grade vanadium. Vanadium prices, you know, a year and a half ago were sky high, so we had planned to do this and pull out samples of that very high grade of vanadium ore to ship to various potential processing plants. Well, as you know, the vanadium price has fallen considerably, and there's still a few of them that say ship the samples, but, you know, with these conditions, there's not quite the demand for vanadium, but we're, we're assessing what to do, ship the samples, take a little bit of ore out, ship the samples offsite. But right now, as you know, there's really no place to go. The Uranium price is not high enough hmm. uh, and probably the Vanadium price is not to justify, uh, you know, shipping the ore to a processing plant, either in the US or offshore.
0: Well, explain, explain something to me, George, because um and I just want to understand a process because we've not talked to many companies who've gone into formally producing mines and, and, and started them up. So just just help me. So um, you are what studies have you done? You've got a PEA? We basically opened the mine because we knew what
1: was in there and we wanted to confirm what was in the mine. That's why we opened it this summer and we spent three, three and a half months in there, you know, with our geologists, uh, with our production people. Assessing the mine and saying, "Okay, this mine is ready for production." You know, a little right. bit of repair work was done, but it mostly was, you know, some development uh, drilling, removing waste and/or production.
0: So, all right, So, tell me what. So what do you now know about the mine? So Obviously, there's a 43101 which exists, which tells you, you know, some, uh, I guess, some information. There's some historic data too, but what do you know today about what you've got under the ground? Of course, the
1: 43101 that was done on the Sunday Mine Complex was done on a small drill out that Denison Mines uh, completed back in 2009, just to determine, you know, if it's a small drill out. So most of the Sunday Mine Complex has never been explored. And so that 43101, which you can basically see on our website, you know, it shows that there's about 3 million pounds of uranium in that small drill out. Well, that's why we knew that, based on the historic operation, that when Union Carbide started this mine, they basically bypassed and did not take all the high grade vanadium war where the grades of the uranium were lower. And that's what we went in primarily because that is not part of the 43101. That was not even assessed when Dennison did it because it was lower grade uranium but very high grade vanadium. And we reported that on press releases, and the market can go look at that, that the right. grades of vanadium are very high. And that is the first ore we would start to mine, and it's still got uranium, but it, it's it's not as high grade as as the drill
0: out and the potential for the rest of the. So let's come back to these studies. So just to understand the process, because I'm I'm learning here. So the forty three one hundred one is old. It's two thousand and nine. Um, you would would you look to. Upgrade that, or would you move straight to PEA? Or ha- ha- what do you, what is the sequence of events that you think you've got to go through?
1: Obviously, we we could obviously do a PEA on on that particular drill. We could do a PEA now that we've opened the mine. We could do a PEA on the ore that is you know not sub you know that was not included in that forty three one hundred one. So right. the you know the big the big issue is okay where are we going to process it? Mining costs are pretty simple. We could go through a PEA and tell you what it costs to pull the mine, the ore out of that mine. The issue is, you're probably going to ask me is where we're going to process, okay, and what is the processing cost? So there's really no way to complete a PEA and say get yellow cake in the can at X price because it's unknown. First of all, the only processing plant that's really available is the energy fuels plant. It's shut down right. now. Is it going to start up? Is there going to be other ones starting up? What's going to, What's going to be the status? So, if you did a PEA trying to do it on the full production cost, you would be stuck
0: with the unknown of the process. I, I was I wasn't really coming at it from. Yeah, eventually we would have got on to asking about you know where, where do you process it and so forth. And I think you know that's that's a topic worth discussing. But just coming back to the study component, like as an ex-banker, I'm trying to understand, uh, you know, what do, what do we know about, uh, what what do you know about what you've got today, which would allow me, if I was financing this thing, to be able to get it financed. So, and usually I'm a you know, conventional banker. I would be looking at those studies, those economic studies, to try and understand it. And traditionally, that's PEA, pre-fees feasibility, definitive feasibility study. But you're re-entering an old mine, and I just want to know what's going on in your head because you know you, you know you've got a plan here. Clearly, you've been doing this a long time. Um, I just want you to kind of share with me or all these viewers, you know, what's what is that go forward plan? If someone like me in my old profession of banking doesn't have a measure by which I can say, hey George, I totally get what you're doing. Here's the money. So you know what 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 is the forward plan to get funding?
1: Okay, well, this is a simple mine. We opened the mine with the same contractor that Dennison had in there when Dennison was producing. And that contractor was charging Dennison so much per ton to take the ore and put it outside the mine. And of course then you had to haul it to the mill and Dennison was hauling it to the White Mason Mill and processing. So the contractor cost, and when we weren't producing ore, we were paying the contractor a fixed fee uh, each month, because we were doing a lot more than just producing ore. But if he goes into the ore production stage of this thing, and he's producing ore, then there'll be a, a cost per ton, okay? And that basically is our almost our full cost, there's some administrative cost. There are a few of the supplies that we, we put into the mine, roof bolts, uh, matting, things like that. So then we take that per ton cost of production, add the cost that we will pay, and we've got a cost per ton of putting that ore outside of the mine. And that ore will have a certain amount of uranium and a certain amount of vanadium. Okay, so the content, the mineral content of that ore will give you the value that you have in a ton of rock. And we know the cost of that. Now we know that if we transport it to the White Mason mill, we know how far it is. You know, we can get a bid from a trucker and tell you how much it costs to truck it there, which we already have pretty much that knowledge. So then we have to say, okay, what's it gonna, and what's the arrangement to process at the White Mason Mill? And of course, you've interviewed Mark and talked to Mark Chalmers, and again, that White Mason Mill is ready to go, you know, with ore, but it doesn't have enough ore. You know, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's a not big gonna mill.
0: That. It's a big mill. I, I was yeah. with
1: the company that built that mill. And when we started that mill, we had a million tons of ore stockpiled at the site. That, that processing plant takes at least 700,000 tons of ore. And so they don't have the capacity to produce that in their current developed and permitted mines. So what's Mark going to do? You know? And again, you know, he hesitates to say, because I don't think his plans are, are firm. But again, I think what he's going to do is say, I'll take ore from the independents, the other companies, because that helps them. It helps the independents. It helps us. But it certainly gives him cash flow to fill up that mill. That mill is costing them a lot of money to sit there. And I'll tell you, I I think for the good of their shareholders, and I'm still a shareholder of Energy Fuels, they need to put that mill into full operation as soon as they can. And again, it's going to be dependent on the price of both Uranium and Vanadium, but maybe that's coming soon with the action of the US government. So
0: okay. you know, that so, so going to that be
1: the key to determining the total cost and, and then the value of the Sunday mine ore coming out of there is what kind of transaction can we make with energy fuels? And that's the short term.
0: Okay. Okay. So uh, I hear you on that one. I, I bet I go, just let me, let me, let me come back. I want to do these steps to try to really make sure I get it. Okay. Is so just just coming back to how you guys get funding. Like you know, I think in September you had two point seven million bucks. You're spending, or thereabouts. You're spending. I don't know. You were spending seven hundred, seven hundred fifty per quarter up until then. so how much money have you got today? And what? When are you going to need to go out and raise some capital? And clearly, I got about
1: US a million and a half. Uh, in right. the bank, uh, okay. you can see our burn rate without operating the mines a little over a hundred thousand a month, so that's, yeah. you know, we don't need money right now. Now, if we open up the mine again, that takes cash. Obviously, we spent cash last summer with the contractor and that. Uh, we spent about a hundred thousand dollars on those ore pads, and we had a contractor build those, and those are now complete. Now we've got some costs, you know. That we're going to, you know, a small amount of cost. We're going to, you know, basically contest, or we're going to go into the state with all of our guns to say this is an active mine. We've got a top litigating attorney on our side, plus we've got the consultants. That costs a little bit, so we are spending a little bit outside of our normal uh, expenditures of holding properties and the, the general and administrative. So, but unless we start operating the mines. We won't need additional cash for some time. Now, okay. if the market turns, all of a sudden we're going to open those mines. It's going to take some cash.
0: Right. Okay. So you're you're moving forward, but trying to conserve your money. You, I appreciate lawyers and so forth. And this this hearing on the, in April is going to take a lot of time, time, effort, and a bit a bit more money. Um, but. If, the, if, if it's found in your favour, you would then look to move to properly being active and opening up the mine. Is that what, you, that's what you're telling me?
1: You know, we could get that kind of ruling soon, or it could be maybe when the government starts buying after the new budget comes out. You, you've read the same yeah. thing. The yeah. same thing. So <laughs> it's, it's uncertain when something will happen, but it could happen very soon or it could be a little bit longer. But apparently, it you know, yeah. President Trump has something in mind to help the US industry uh, and we're prepared. That's why we've got those mines ready to go, uh, so that we can be one of the suppliers to whatever need is out there. Okay.
0: You're taking care of business as far as the administrative side of things. you got to get the permissions to be able to get back in there. Okay. So, so let's, let's kind of park that if, if if we make, and can we I just need to get this answer to the original question, which was how does a company at your stage, without going through the process of economic studies, get financing? So when you're ready to switch on, who's gonna who's gonna step in and finance you too, even if it's for five million bucks, not necessarily to get into production, clearly, um, but to allow you to get things set up and ready to put yourself in the best position to get into production, should the government ever give clarity on what's happening on with their Uranium and nuclear plants.
1: It doesn't cost anything really to get the mine going. We'll have to turn the metres back on, the electric metres, deposits of about twenty thousand dollars But again, it's not much. So again, when we start to turn the mine on for production, we'll have some kind of offtake contract at a price and we'll basically debt finance that possibly, whether we'll do a a placement, you know, an equity placement. But again, we'll have the economics laid out because we'll know what we're going to do with the ore. We'll know what the the price is. Now, Energy Fuels has talked, you know, to the market, just told me at their booth today, they want 60 to $65. Yeah, that's a nice price. The Sunday mine certainly can make money at that price. Now, is the government going to step up and buy at 60 or 65? We don't know, but if they do, You can apply the economics, and so can we, and so can an outside financial firm or investors to give us the money, which is not a lot of money. Depends on what kind of arrangement we have with the mill. If it's simply, as Mark Chalmers has said, they might just buy ore. You know, in the first energy fuels, which I was part of, we bought a lot of ore from the independents. You'd ship a truckload of ore, you'd get paid 30 days down the road. So right. that is a, not much financing for that because you just have to mine each day and ship
0: ore and then you get paid. So you think on the basis of the old 4301, you can convince people that you know the scale of the ore available to you underground. You're saying that that's going to be good enough for financiers to say, okay, we, we, we understand how much ore they're going to be able to mine. Yeah?
1: Of course. In fact, we can open up the mine and take them in and show them. You know, that's one thing you know they can go right in there and they you know they can talk to the geologists and what we did the development drilling we did so they can see what and obviously we're not going to go into full production to start with you know if the government decides to buy a couple million pounds you know that's going to be split you know spread across a number of producers so I yeah. argue you know we could probably produce half of that the first year but we're not going to I don't think we're going to get that much So we're going to go into some limited production to start with because I don't think if that's the program we're counting on, it's 150 million dollars. That only buys you about two million pounds, so that's not a lot of uranium. We could easily produce, you know, a a third or a fourth of that.
0: How much um, equipment and um, you know, how much did you inherit when you bought the mine? I mean, are you going to have to go out and buy a whole bunch, spend a bunch of money on on the opex and uh, sorry, the the capex there?
1: we'll use the contractor. He's already available to us. The contractor has all the equipment, so we don't buy anything. Uh, We've got got a little bit of mining equipment ourselves, but he will bring the equipment. He was mining for Denison and he's sitting there with nothing to do. He's already committed to do the mine for us, so there is no capital cost in the way of equipment.
0: Okay, You need a good idea of um, what you're going to be able to sell at to be able to work out what the contract looks like. With him because you obviously going to make a margin, right? Otherwise, he, he, he takes he takes it all potentially. What, what do you think your number needs to be? You're saying 60, 65 as well? I think the Sunday
1: mine, certainly, you know, if you've got 60, $65 Uranium and even current prices of Vanadium, it's, it makes sense at that, maybe even a lower price. The Sunday mine has got very high grade Vanadium. It's probably the best Vanadium mine in North America, maybe in the world. It's got 2 po- or 3% Vanadium And the white mason mill recovers vanadium. So it's got that additional value that drives the cost of uranium down. I'm not gonna give you a number yet, but again, I'd like to see if energy fuels can do 60 or 65, that might set the market. Why would I want to sell at 40? If the market, if their production, which they're gonna be the biggest producer into this, there's no doubt about it. And they're gonna set the price. Uh, And they make no, you know, it's no, uh, secret. They want sixty or sixty-five dollars. That's what that the, what the U.S. needs to survive. You know, so you some think it's people be a- say it's less, but you know, you really need a price that can keep this industry
0: alive. But you're gonna you're, you're talking about a bifurcated market there, where the U.S. is is selling at one price and the rest of the world selling at another, right? You think that's realistic?
1: Yes, I think so. We're we're, we're waiting to see what the government program is. If that's the program, we're going to produce into and nobody okay, okay. knows you know there's even i've even made a suggestion and that they could simply stockpile ore they don't need to process it the government would be better off buying raw ore stockpiling it the government doesn't need yellow cake it's easy to tell to turn the ore into yellow cake you just have to have a mill if, if yeah. there was an emergency where the u.s needed it they could do that and have a mill a new mill built within a year the u.s government could do things like that so, so maybe you, you they can stockpile you, both U 308 as well as ore,
0: and they can well, get a mean,
1: lot more for their money by stockpiling ore.
0: Well, you, you did. I, I heard. A, I heard an interview you did with um, with Scott at Proactive. We suggested that that's what the U.S. government might do: is is, stock, is start stockpiling ore. I mean, I assume you did mean ore and, and not yellowcake. Um, why would you just take to help me understand? So, why would the government take the risk on the recovery component? Do you think it's just all about security? So, therefore, it's irrelevant what the the delta on the risk is, or why would they do that?
1: Risk is I mean, if the government said well, we've got a process ore, they they could turn around and build a processing plant, or you know, get energy fuels to process it. It's not the issue they have to have yellow cake in the can. We're not out of uranium in the U.S. What we're, what we're, the problem is the mines are going to shut down if we don't get some relief. And if the mines shut down, then it's going to take years and, and huge amounts of money to bring them back. So what they're going to do is they're going to invest now to keep the mining possibility there. You know, right. the, the processing plants, you can build a new processing plant. That's just a a structure with tanks and pumps and things like that you know mm-hmm. obviously you've got to get permits but the U.S. government they declared a emergency they would just do it you know I mean we've done that before you know in the yeah. emergency so you know I'm not saying they would buy just ore but it could be a combination stockpiling right. ore as well as buying the yellow cake but they okay. could but get you- a lot more for their money right now obviously then when they need it spend the money down the road and that okay. way, you've given the miners what they need, you've, you've you've acquired the ore to turn it into yellow cake when you need it, but you haven't spent the full uh, cost of, yeah. of acquiring yellow cake.
0: Okay, but I I agree that it it potentially could be a saving if they're prepared to take the risk on the recovery for it. So I think there's something there, but you don't know anything that we don't with regards to the government's plan to buy ore versus U3. I
1: I don't know anything. It's just a possibility. Nobody knows anything about what what the plan will be. And the first thing is, there's only a proposed budget. There's no real dollars there yet. If there's real dollars, then one of the agencies, maybe the Department of Energy, will set out the program. Of course, the Department of Energy in the past bought all of the uranium for the U.S. That's how they got it. They they were good at it in the past. They haven't done it for a long time, but it wouldn't take long for the Department of Energy to develop a program to buy this material in whatever form it is. But they've got to have basically the money to do that, to say, okay, we've got the 150 million or whatever. You know, right okay. now, it's a proposed budget, and there's no cash there for the department to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real, it's quite vague at the moment, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully this week's announcement from um, the Department of Energy. But can I talk about two more two more things? You ha- you mentioned one of them, which is the which is the mill. Um, you know, you talked about doing deals there, um, which obviously makes sense. So. You, where are you in that discussion? Have you had discussions with, you've mentioned Energy Fuels, who we have spoken to. Are there others um, who you've spoken to? I mean, how do you process what you've got, I guess? And I know you said you're not quite sure what the cost will be, but how do you go about finding out?
1: We're, we're constantly talking with Energy Fuel. so I'm here at, at PDAC. Uh, and again, I think once their plans firm up, then they can talk to us seriously about what they can do with our ore. But again, they're in the same position. They don't have a contract, they don't have an offtake, So that mill is sitting there virtually ready to go, but without any ore to fill. And they've, they've produced a little, they announced out of their LaSalle project, I think they what moved six or 8,000 tons. Mm. Uh, that's what, a few days of process. You're not gonna start that mill, Run it for that period of time. They need to run that mill for a period of time. It's expensive to start up and shut down. So what happens? They're going to have their plan. They're going to wait till they get their their contract and an offtake. I suppose that would be the right. logical thing to do. They're going to be one of the the suppliers if the government buys, or if the government does something else under whatever might be announced in the next few days. I don't know what that is. You know, yeah. if they're going to announce they've got current funds to do something, maybe they do. They can pull it from other budgets. So maybe they could do something and say, we're, we're going to contract for deliveries right away. Uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do? You know, the working group had a lot of suggestions, a lot of recommendations. We haven't seen that yet. But when that's made public, you know, those are the, the, the suggestions as to how to save this industry that went to the president. But, you know, we speculate. We know by rumour what might be in there, but we don't know for sure. And what, right. what, which ones of those many recommendations are they going to initiate? We don't know. Nobody knows.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think anyone knows and, I, and the, the language has been beautifully politic and, and, and unclear. Um, but, <laughs> but coming back to the mill component, I, I, I get that both sides are going to have a different view of this one. You're, you're of the view, I've got ore, you've got a mill which is underutilised, I can supply it into you or not. Because you, you have other options? Are there other options in the U.S.? Where do you ship it to, if, for instance? I mean, there's a couple of other mills, I think.
1: Other options, obviously, there are a couple other mills in the United States. They're not in the same condition. There's the Rio Tinto mill in, in Wyoming, and there's the Shootering shooting mill in mm. Utah, which neither one of them are quite ready for production, but could be. You, know, when you take a look at it. Uh, and if energy fuels wouldn't take ore from the other, and there's not just Western, there's other companies that can produce ore. So, what the other companies could do, you know, Enfield owns the mill at Shootering, and I know they've got some mines that they want to put into production. So, there are yeah. other options. Now, I think that the, the quickest and the least costly is energy fuels. Right. But if they say no, we're not going to process anybody else's ore, then if the economics are right, it will be done.
0: It's going to come down to do both sides make money, clearly. And you, so you have spoken with them this week at PDAC. Um, you, it's probably too early to have discussions until you know what's happening with the Nuclear Fuel Working Group anyway, but you think that they're open to doing a deal with you if you can, if both sides can get the economics agreed.
1: I think if, if, if the right deal comes down, uh, I think it's good for both Western Energy Fuels to, to make some kind of arrangement, whether it's selling more or whether it's toll milling. I think it makes sense from both companies standpoint economically to do something right? You know, because you've got to take advantage of the price when it's there. And Energy Fuels, if they're going to bid on, you know, a million and a half pounds, you know, they're going to have to deliver it fairly soon and where are they going to get it? They don't have that production capacity right now. Now, given time, they can bring other projects on, and they just did an updated their PEA on the Sheep Mountain, as you see. But the Sheep Mountains in Wyoming, and it's it's almost fully permitted. Maybe it's fully permitted, but it's not ready for production. And I see the market that market cap to bring that in production is like 150 million dollars. You don't bring that on if you got a contract, you know, for a million pounds. You do things that are uh, right now and you buy ore or you let others process at the mill and you make money off of that. Energy fuels can make a nice profit off of buying ore or tome mill. There's no doubt about it. We did it in the past. You know, Denison was buying ore when they were running the mill because they couldn't fill it with their own. So it just makes economic sense to open that mill to other people, but Energy Fuels makes money and everybody else does. And if Energy Fuels believes that they don't want anybody else to make money, It's hurting their shareholders as much as it's hurting mine or Enfield's or anybody else's. So, you know, at some point, you got to look after the shareholders. That's the key. You know, don't worry about the competition. There's really not a competition in this industry. We all need about the same price. We all produce the same product. It's not like we're trying to compete. There is no market for any of us now. You know, $25, nobody's selling uranium. So I, I don't think we're competing against each other. Even we're not competing against the world, except the fact is we're not selling uranium at $25 as the Kazakhs are. And you know, you take a look at Cameco. Cameco is not selling uranium at $25. So you know, it, it, we don't have to worry about the competition. We have to worry about the world market. The competition now is is the Russians or the Kazakhs that are keeping that price down and the oversupply of the market. You know, that's got to work itself out and then the price will go up. I think the government action, no matter what the US government does, it's only temporary. We've got to have a world price that supports mining around the world, in Canada and Australia, the US.
0: Yeah, great. I agree, I agree with that. I think I think your competition in the US is, is also uh, natural gas, um, not just other Uranium uh, peer groups. Um, can we talk about like, thanks for that. Like, I guess there's a whole bunch of unknowns in there. You're saying to me, you just finish off that, you, you If you can't get an agreement with energy fuels, you've got options. You feel right, um, and you feel that the market is going to need to see a price of sixty sixty-five bucks in the U.S. to for people to be encouraged and incentivized to get back into into production. If the market takes time to recover, that that whether it be spot price. Getting up to whatever it needs needs to do, or your ability to put contracts in place, obviously, which typically get a slightly higher price than than, than spot. Um, actually, we haven't really talked about that, have we? You, you know, what does a company like you, which is re-entering old mines, need to do to be able to go and talk to utility companies? Because I, th- I think you mentioned one uh, agreement from two thousand and fifteen with a utility company. It, is that still in existence? What is that? What's
1: contract still in existence, and we have not right. delivered against it. You know, right. because they deferred the delivery simply because we said, hey, at, at these prices, we're not going to open the mine. We could go out and buy the uranium, but there would be probably very little margin, if any, in it. So they've agreed. They didn't need the uranium. Right. Uh, they they contracted with us to small quantities, and you know, we can't give you the details of the contract. It's confidential. But we haven't delivered into it, or you would see it in our financial statements. And, and, and right. again, uh, under the current market conditions, they're probably out buying in the spot market. You know, there's a lot of uranium. So they don't need that uranium we contracted for. So again, we're not signing new contracts. We're not even looking at new contracts because the U.S. utilities are not prepared to pay the higher price. And I understand where they're coming from. You know, when you can buy at $25, why sign a $60 contract? So again, I think long-term contracting will come, but we're going to have to see that price move up. What is the, you know, term prices maybe in the low thirties now, but that's still not enough for U.S. producers to sign term
0: contracts. Forties, no. I'm hearing. Forties, that's the rumor. Uh, who knows? Um, okay, so like, you're 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 early stages, right? You're really kind of early days here. You're not in a position to be talking about signing contracts, even if the price was sixty today, are you? You've got to you've got to move this project into you know for, for, further along here. You've got to work out how much you can actually mine and get to surface first. So that that's the process you're going through at the moment. Is that correct?
1: Right, right. And and, and until we have the economics there, you know, there's no reason to talk to the utilities. I mean, at this yep. point. You know, we talked to them, we we talked to the buyers, but again, it's the time is not right. You know, the prices yeah. are not, up, and maybe they won't be in the next two years, but eventually they will be. You look at yeah. all the analysts out there, they said there's going to be a crossover between the supply and demand. When that yeah. happens, you're going to see uranium prices go up. How much they go up depends on, you know, what the, but the longer we wait, the higher that price is going to go because nobody's doing anything. Nobody can get any money. You know, I've been here, talked to all the uranium companies, the juniors right here at this conference, and everybody is just holding on. They're getting enough money, raising enough money to keep their, their assets, but they're not developing. There's not much exploration going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's just holding. The exploration is going on a little bit in Canada, obviously. You know, in Athabasca, they're still doing exploration because they've got special tax laws up here in Canada where they can get this flow through money. Uh, and, and we don't have that in the US. I mean, so we're at a disadvantage, but we don't need to explore. We've got plenty of resources already, you know, defined mm. in the US. So why explore? But I you know, without companies developing, you know, take a look. If you want to develop the, you know, the Sheep Mountain, just look at their P E A hundred and fifty million energy fuels you're yep. not going to spend that unless That's they've right. got contract and their insurance are going to make a money on that. And so
0: nothing is happening. No, I agree. I, I agree with you. I, I actually, I kind of like that. I like this bit of discussion because you're saying, you're being realistic and saying, look, potentially if the US government don't actually firm up on exactly what they're going to do for us, this industry, this Uranium industry as, as part of the bigger nuclear picture, if they don't firm up on that and give us the prices towards, you know, the 60-65, um, maybe there'll be price discovery in the market and maybe it doesn't matter but it's gonna take a couple of years for that process to, to to run its course you guys, you junior uranium guys are running on vapor right now all of you because you're not there's there's no revenues obviously um, but hunkering down is the smartest thing to do that that's what you're telling me right
1: yeah well, that's right and you know I think, the companies will hold on, they'll have to cut their costs, just like energy fuels had a very major layoff, you know, 60 days ago, they took some steps to cut the cost. You know, companies are are cutting their costs, they're trying to live off of their revenue or the investments they can get. But maybe they can last two years, but everybody's gonna have to cut back. And right now, there wasn't much interest in the uranium sector at this conference, you know, gold, and that was the big thing. But, you know, if you went out to raise money, now there have been some small you know, capital raises by the small companies, but nothing major. So, again, this industry is holding on barely, not just in the U.S., but around the world. you know. And yep. so, again, we need to have a higher world price. And I, that will come. Now, whether it goes to $60, I don't know. You know, it depends on where the production comes in to fill the demand. And at what price, you know, and again, uh, Cameco, probably the best producer in the world, is going to take a majority of the contracts at whatever price they're willing to do. And then the next year of production will come in, whether some in Australia, some in the U.S. But again, if, if the Kazakhs and the Russians can put uranium into the market at $25 for the next 20 years, it's going to stay at
0: $25. No, I, I I don't believe they want to do that either. Why can you tell me where do you think you get into this cycle? How do you, how do you insert yourself into this cycle because like I say you you've talked in other interviews about being able to get or to surface. And let's let's assume you can come up with some production agreement with with energy fuels or or, or other um, you think you can get into production quite soon, but and you and you're telling me in this interview you think that you can put the numbers together in a way feels like it feels like kind of a bit like you know back of an envelope you know I'm going to do some quick numbers for you here here's here's what we uh, here's what we think we can get so can you give me some money it's 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 simpler it's simpler is that what you're telling me
1: our mine is a two commodity mine uranium and vanadium so it it's not just dependent on uranium. You get the vanadium price up into the eight to ten dollars, then we've got a vanadium mine. So again, we're not totally dependent on the price of uranium, unlike virtually everybody else. Now, energy fuels has some uranium and vanadium, but take a look at the rest of the United States, the rest of the world—they're dependent on uranium. Maybe a few that have a little bit of, you know, vanadium, but not high-grade vanadium. So we basically could be driven by the vanadium market. Which is a spot market, not a long-term market. Uh, we met with some of the, the analysts that cover some of them, vanadium, and do some of the reports and get some idea what they think is going to happen with vanadium. Mm. So again, we got to be ready. Maybe it's not uranium. Maybe we turn this mine on to produce vanadium.
0: But vanadium's been traditionally quite volatile. I know it's ninety percent in the steel industry, and people are talking about VRFB batteries, and it's, it's it's coming. But you know, we saw the spike eighteen months ago, back down. To Three bucks, where is it? Seven bucks today, it's it's it bounces around and it has been volatile. I mean, can you base a business solely off of that, really, even with high grade?
1: Well, you know, again, since we don't have a large capital cost, if we, if we basically said okay, we could sell forward even for six months or, or so, we could start to mine. Obviously, you got to process it. But some there's processing plants offshore that can handle this. Okay, and that's when the uranium or the vanadium price went up. That's why they all came to us. We could get them high grade vanadium ore to be processed offshore. Of course, that was when the price was $20 or higher. If it doesn't go way up, maybe that's still not an option. Maybe, but we're looking, we're always talking to people. There's a possibility of building a vanadium processing plant in the United States that recovers vanadium. From these ores.
0: Do you know how, what the scale of the operation could be? I mean, how much ore vanadium have you got?
1: Well, you know, again, if you take a look at the small drill out that was done, you know, the, the resource of uranium, the vanadium resources is based on historic ratio of uranium to vanadium in the Sunday mine, which is about six to one. So, I mean, if you got three million pounds of uranium, you got 18 million pounds of vanadium, but that's based on, but again, we went in, and when we looked at the mine, the vanadium is actually higher than the 6 to 1 that Union Carbide historically produced. But again, we don't report that. You know, we, we just use that historic, which, you know, we have to be careful what we report to the market. Bear in mind, we are also an SEC reporting company, not just in Canada. The Canadian rules are a little looser. The U.S. rules are very tight. And so what yeah. we report... And the way of resources and that have to be qualified and that question came up you see in our presentation we call these historic resources even though they're compliant with canadian and australian standards in the u.s you can't say that so again we call them historic because apparently that's what the u.s security laws require
0: understand. So again, understand i can't
1: tell you that there's 100 million pounds in the sunday mine but a lot of that mine hasn't been mined and it hasn't been explored And again, how many pounds you need to start a new vanadium plant. You know, this is, Sunday Mine's not the only vanadium, uranium property. There's other properties owned by other companies. There's a lot of it in the area. Uh, And some owned by energy fuel, some owned by Enfield, some owned by private companies. Uh, So, you know, it's an area that there's a lot of resources produced a lot in the past. And it can, at the right prices, produce a lot in the future, both uranium and vanadium.
0: I guess it comes back to one of the questions I asked earlier, which was how 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 do you get to the point where you can say, "I think we can mine." You you said eight to nine bucks just just now. If Vanadium gets to eight to nine bucks, that could be interesting for you. Um, But how do you get that financed? I mean, what conversations do you need to have with a like like a either investment bank like I I was part of or fund or whoever strategic. I mean, what are the options on the table for you, really? These are some of the customers the Vanadium would, would finance
1: the thing themselves. You know, I can't give you the details of that. But if there's a shortage of Vanadium, and actually, you know, what the, the ones that cover this industry basically says, there's not going to be any new production unless, unless it gets up. It's not bad Vanadium isn't going to come into production anywhere near 8 or $10 or $12. Uh, it's high-cost high And it's not going to come into production. So, you know, you got Largo in South America. They can step up some production, but you don't. And, and of course, then the byproduct production of vanadium, you know, from slags and so on. But that's somewhat limited how much more it's tied to steel production. So, again, where are you going to get, even if the demand for vanadium just goes up gradually like it has, without the, the battery, you know, adding anything to it, there's going to be some shortages of vanadium. Maybe not in the next couple of years, but you know, there's just not new production coming on uh, because the prices aren't high enough. It's not nearly the case as it is with
0: uranium. But vanadium.
1: So what's the the,
0: what's the price you think it needs to get to, George? I mean, again, I'm trying. You've got high grade vanadium, which is great, but what price do you think it needs to get to before you can have discussions about even like funding something? I I think we
1: get up into the nine to ten dollars. It looks very attractive from a a plant you know, the Sunday mine standpoint, you know, when you look at the grades of the vanadium, you know, and we just, you know, two to three percent vanadium, that starts to look pretty attractive at that price.
0: You think you can make money at that point? an economic
1: analysis uh, and, and do that if we need to do that. But again, financing may not be dependent on announcing independent finance. We might be able to do it with the off customer. But again, all those things are just possible they're not in yeah. place yet i don't want to represent that they are yeah. but again this is why you know we are holding ready for the uranium or vanadium or one or the other to, to move to a place where the mine makes economic sense
0: so i think that's been clear um, you are in a position with both uranium and vanadium waiting on price recovery or discovery uh, in the market to get to a certain point you, you know you're suggesting something sixty sixty five for uranium, nine to ten bucks for vanadium at which point you will do an economic study on either or both to be to enable you to get financed that makes sense. okay thank you. thank you. can we just talk sort of one last thing, George one last thing which this this kind of got me excited because i'd we explained to one other company he's got something similar, and I, I was trying to understand it, which is the used to be called ablation. It's now called kinetic separation technology, which sounds much fancier. Um, so, um, can you tell us what is it and what does it do?
1: The technology ablation, uh, which we have kind of renamed kin- kinetic separation, because that kind of describes it. Ablation is a medical term. Uh, the developers or the people that developed this technology called it ablation. And when we acquired the technology, you know, we went with that term, but you know, to to better explain it, we just changed the name to kinetic separation. What this is, it's a process for sandstone hosted minerals, and doesn't mean it's uranium, vanadium, could be other minerals. They coat the sand, okay? It's a very hard coating. And the way you remove that, after you mine it, you put it into a uranium mill and you dissolve it in acid, okay, that dissolves the, the metals off of the sand. Well, kinetic separation takes this and does it without any chemicals. It does it with kinetic energy. By driving particles of the sand against each other at a very high velocity, it, it releases that coating. And then what you simply do is you screen off that sand. Right. Like you would in a you know, sand and gravel operation, and then the mineral is all contained in the fines, and you basically have clean sand without mineral that you can just leave at the mine site. So What you do, you reduce the amount of material that has to be processed, and, and the tests that have been done uh, with the, the machines that we have basically show that you can remove up to 90 percent of the mass and keep about 95 percent of the mineral. So What happens, instead of shipping 100 tons to the mill, you take and you mine 100 tons, you'll ship 10 tons for processing. And that's where your savings the, and, and the environmental effect comes in because the worst part of uranium production is the milling. That creates the toxic waste and mining doesn't create toxic waste because we don't use chemicals in mining, but the mill uses chemicals. And that's why the milling process is expensive and the disposal of the waste from milling is expensive. So kinetic separation will reduce the amount of material you send to the mill. Uh, and that's the advantage of it, we think. Well, we, we've proven it works. Now it's just the issue of getting it into production. And you know, you've read, there's there's issues with it. We ran the process on our commercial machine in Colorado. Uh, and of course we had a press release out about this. And then the state of Colorado heard about it. They said, well, we don't know what this is all about. So they went through a whole number of public meetings to try to determine if the Department of Health should get involved in licensing this like a uranium mill. Well, after all these hearings, they couldn't decide what it was. So they went to the NRC. And The state of Colorado operates under the NRC rules. It's an agreement state. So they went to the NRC, and there was a staff member at the NRC made a real quick, and as our lawyers say, uh, unfunded or unfounded uh, recommendation. Well, just consider it milling. And that's what the state came back and said, well, we think, I guess it's milling. We think that's a faulty determination by the NRC. Now, now this, right. We haven't gone back to the state because the state's relying on what the NRC said. So what we've done is no secret. We went to the NRC, the commission direct. We've talked to the staff, but we're in front of the commission to decide what this process is. Is it milling or is it mining? And and, and there's a lot of precedent that say things that are done at the mines are mining. You know, this is nothing that this is secondary blasting. And our position is if you consider this milling, you better start regulating all mining as milling because we all blast with dynamite in there. And this is secondary blasting done with basically air. Okay. And so the, it, it's an interesting argument and it's in front of the NRC now. And When they'll make a ruling on it, we don't know. But again, we haven't pressed it because the market right now wouldn't justify it. So as the price goes up, we'll be closer to, I think, going to the NRC and say, we need a decision on this. Well, you know, they take time, but it is in the process. Uh, So right now we're not doing anything, but there's other options. Even if it's determined to have, need some kind of license, not necessarily a milling license. And I don't need to go into the details of milling versus, you know, but again, even if it's determined that you need a source material license, which is basically to possess the uranium, that's easier to get. But we contend that that's not even needed because this is a mining process. It's not a milling process.
0: You're just saying it's, it, it's admin. It's just a process you've got to go through. And even if it was a mining license or mining permit required for that, it's just a process you've got to go through and something that you feel you could get. But it's time and it's money which you're not going to invest now in today's market, but at the right time you will step in. That's what I'm hearing.
1: We've already invested quite a bit of money. The legal arguments have already been presented to the NRC, and that paper, a lengthy paper, a technical and a legal paper, has been submitted to the NRC, and it's on their site. You can get it. So we have spent the money through the attorneys in Washington, and and the experts to do it. So it's already, most of the money has been spent on it. So now it's just a matter of the NRC actually taking the action uh, to make a decision. And it, it takes some time. We've met with them several times and, and we'll have follow-up meetings, but it's, we believe it's, it's a decision that doesn't have to be made today, but it should be made within the next you
0: know year. So you, you did say that the ratio there would be like a 10 to 1. If you put in 100 tonnes of ore, you might get a ton, uh, 10, 10 tonnes out, right? That's-
1: We've tested ores and there's been ore tested, not just in our minds, but other ores. Have been tested extensively on this machine. Ores from Africa, and it works right. on those, ores from around the United States. So it's not just for our ores. It could be used around the world to reduce production costs and to reduce the environmental impact of uranium production. And most ores around the, uh, the world are sandstone hosted ores.
0: So have that, has that been, all been done quite recently, has it?
1: Yes, in the last year or so. I mean, we haven't tested anything more. We've had right. samples. We've actually tested some iron ore, interestingly enough, you know, on that process. And that does it. that's not uranium, so we can use it. We could test zinc. We had a, a drum of low-grade iron ore out of Minnesota that we upgraded. Now, right. again, there's a lot of low-grade iron ore in Minnesota that's not commercial. But again, we did a test on a small quantity. Now, whether, you know, iron ore is a huge quantity of material. Now, whether it's economic for these guys, you know, we tested it to show that this this could work on upgrading low-grade iron. work. But again, you know, we tested it on some zinc. Uh, it works on other things as long as they're sandstone host. But again, we haven't done any uranium testing simply because, you know, it hasn't been necessary and because we basically, we potentially could move the machines out of the state of Colorado, the state of Utah hasn't ruled on is, neither the state of Wyoming, but there's no reason to do that yet. But the machines are in the state of Colorado. So the Colorado said, don't do it until we decide what this is. And now they've decided maybe it's milling
0: and we're not going to apply for a milling license because we don't agree with that. So, okay, so let me get that right. So the, these, this machine, this proprietary technology of yours has been used in the past and tested on sandstone to remove wh- wh- whichever commodities that you were, you were testing for, but not Uranium yet and not anything in Colorado yet. Got it. Understood. Okay. Understood. And um, again, once they make this ruling, is this kind of fairly cheap in terms of the, like how much cost will it add to your process? Or are you going, well, actually at a 10 to 1 ratio, that's whatever it costs, it's, it's going to be fine.
1: It's, it's basically uh, run by electricity. It's, it's very small energy cost. And it depends on how many machines are operated by one operator. So it's it's a couple dollars a ton. It doesn't cost very much. Now, again, the machines that we have, the commercial machine, was built to go into a Sunday mine, a small mine. So you'll need multiple machines because, you know, it, it actually goes right into the mine. You can build them bigger. It wouldn't fit into the mine. So if you want to operate outside the mine, you build a bigger ones. But the one that we built is, is the size to go actually into the mine, operate in the mine and then put the waste material back into the mine. So the cost of operation if we build a bigger one would be less because one person can operate a small one or can operate a big one. So labour is one of the major costs, but it's it's a matter of a few dollars per tonne.
0: And again, I guess you're going to have to work out how many of these machines you would need, where you locate them and how much ore you can put through them, because that would appear to be, you know, a... The long pole in the tent, right?
1: Full Sunday mine in operation, you would need five of these. There's five mines there. You would need five of them because you got five different locations and you put five smaller ones. Or maybe you would just build one big one and bring the material out. But the advantage, why bring it to the surface if you can process it underground? You just save hauling all that ore out the portals and you just backfill in the old stokes. Now, if you don't have a mine if it's a newly developed mine you don't have anywhere to operate in the mines to start with so what happens a sunday mine has been mined so it could operate in the sunday mine uh easily but you know it could also operate on the surface and you could either take the waste back in to backfill the mine if you want to do it a little more cost or you could dispose of it on the surface
0: right. so again okay. you can
1: build these things any size you want but this one happens to be built to go in. A mine the size of the Sunday mine.
0: Okay, so this this is your proprietary technology, yes?
1: Patented technology. It's under uh, U.S. patents. Uh, we have the rights to that, and it's of course protected in countries that honor U.S. patents: Canada, Australia. Um, yes, and and it, it, it's proprietary, and and not only the technology, but the way you operate this thing, and so that's so important because we've got the only operating machines. I'm not saying it couldn't be duplicated we ship one of these to China, they could probably reverse engineer it and build one, no doubt about it. But the way you operate these things, it's operated by computer technology. And, and you know, quite frankly, you put this material into this machine and there's a, there's a timing of these things. You've got to leave it in just the right amount of time or it'll grind that sand to, to fines. And if you don't leave it in long enough, it won't remove all the. So it's the operational issues also that are proprietary and we've run it enough so we understand it and i'm not saying somebody couldn't learn that but you know it's going to take some time and we've already done it you know, we've spent five years at this okay so, so why again, why aren't you some proprietary and we're willing to you know let others use it under license uh,
0: there are a number okay. of clients
1: we've tested
0: okay uh, well, well there's the question ready
1: to go because the economics are not there
0: but no one's ready to go on uranium, but you said it works for things other than uranium. So have you are you looking at getting contracts or agreements in place with other miners with other commodities and start monetizing this technology of yours?
1: Well, I like I said we tested other minerals. You know, again right. in the case with the iron ore, you know, it's an issue that those are massive quantities, okay, and it would take huge machines to do it, not the ones that we have. And so the economics, and iron ore doesn't sell very much. You know, it's, it goes up and down. So, again, nobody's rushing in to say, I've got to have this machine because the economics of iron ore go up and down. You know, and some of the other minerals we've tested, it's the same thing. They're small mines. We've tested, you know, from different locations. But nobody right now, the mineral market is not screaming for this because none of the commodities are high enough. You know, they go up and down. Uh, but again, you've got to find the right project. Some of the big mines, you'd have to have very big equipment. But smaller mines, maybe it's more economical. These don't cost very much to build a small one. You know, right? It, okay. They're, just, they're pumps and pipes, is basically what this is, and 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 the the special patented nozzle design.
0: So it sounds, sounds to me like you're you're waiting until the market recovers for uranium. You're going to use it on your own project here, and and I guess at that point you may or may not receive phone calls from other Uranium juniors.
1: (laughs) If if we use kinetic separation on the Sunday mine, you're gonna produce an ore that has uh, probably 30 to 40% vanadium in it, and two or 3% uranium, and that is so high grade. If you ship that to an existing processing plant like the white mason mill, they would have to reduce the capacity because the back end of the white mason mill couldn't handle the output. So I mean, there's also the issue, maybe you should build a new processing plant for high-grade, really high-grade material uh, somewhere. But again, if we've got that high-grade material, we don't have to build it in the US, we build it anywhere in the world, because transportation costs for a product of that value are not the constraining issue. You could ship the material anywhere in the world because it's such high value once it's upgraded with the economics. If you've got you know, 30 or 40% vanadium and 2 or 3% uranium, that's a lot of value in a ton of rock. But again, you know, I'm not saying the white mason mill couldn't process this stuff. They could adjust the operation to process it, but logically, we'll probably just ship raw ore to the white mason mill because that's what it does rather than this high grade that they would probably have to blend down with their low-grade stuff anyway to put it through. Uh, so again, economically we're looking at just conventional mining, shipping the conventional ore. Uh, mm-hmm. Down the road, if the you know, when the market comes back, kinetic separation is the way to go. And so that's yep. why again, we're not pushing this through the NRC because the decision can wait a while because the market is not there. Uh, and And again, you would have to have a long-term contract, or somebody that's going to put in the money to say, "I'm going to build this high-grade recovery plan.
0: With regards to, you know, just on just on the money side of things, potentially you've heard those that this potentially could go along, uh, could go on for another couple of years, and you've got to hunkering down. You're going to be fine hunkering down. Um, I think you, like a lot of juniors, your share price has been, you know, hit hard um, the last year. Um there's there's not too much you can do about it, is there?
1: Price goes up and down and it's based on I suppose how the investors are feeling about the market at any one time. Uh, we can come out with announcements, but we can't guarantee the price. We can't guarantee there's gonna be a contract or production next year. Now that's the that's the problem, you know, and, and the share prices of virtually everybody have gone down. You know, they've recovered a little bit, but the uranium sector is down. And yeah, I wish I was something I could do about it. You know, I'm a big shareholder of of Western. I said on one interview, not too long ago, if you want to make money in the uranium industry in the next 30 days, you shouldn't be in this industry. This is a longer term in any company, not just ours. Mm. You got to take a longer view of uranium, you know, a year or two. If you invest in this, expect profits and maybe nice profits with any of the companies, but it's a year or two investment, not 30 days. Real profits are going to be made for the investors, it can stay in for a while, and and yeah. the industry is at a low point, so maybe it's a good time to buy. I, th-
0: I think I think that's uh, been said said by a few. People. I mean, we've been talking to uranium companies for about a year now, learning about the space. It's a quite a opaque space. Um, you know, people have been sitting on the uranium thesis for the last three years, and you know, still haven't got it right. But they will be right one day, so that's so it's, so it's good, it's fine. Um, but I'm I, I'm always sort of intrigued um, by you know how companies re- react in a time like this. You know today now it's uranium. It, it was previously gold, and you know there's lots of commodities go through their ups and downs. But for you guys, I mean, you I guess you're cutting back your G&A as much as you can. You're not. You're only spending what you need to. to. That's that's what you were sort of telling me earlier.
1: We could cut back a little bit. We've got a lot of claims. A lot of. Pro- properties. I suppose that's one of our major costs is holding the properties. We could cut back some of the not the key assets or the ones that you know, certainly wouldn't cut back to Sunday, but we could cut that. We only got two and a half employees. The rest of the stuff we do with contractors, you know, so that's the thing. We don't have, we could lay off all two and a half employees. <laughs> you can't do that. The, the two and a half employees that we have are the key people, myself, our, our, our CFO, Rob, and a part-time operations guy. Okay, to take care of and maintain all this stuff. So our G and A is very, very low. Our capital, our, our money of holding this company as a is a public company is high because we have two jurisdictions. You know, our auditors have to audit to the US and the Canadian standards. They have to review our financials quarterly under US law, but Canadian it's only yearly. We've got additional costs because we are a dual, you know, country, you know, reporting company. And that's that's a disadvantage. I don't know what we can do about that. I keep talking to our attorneys and our accountants. But again, because we are under the SEC jurisdiction, it costs more, and you'd be surprised of our burn, how much is is being public company. But we have to. I mean, we don't have a choice. I don't know how we can cut that other than become a private company. Theoretically, this company could be taken private by a big cash investor and cash out to shareholders. You know, at the right price, the shareholders are probably willing to do that. But we've got certain costs built into this thing. A little bit we can cut, but a lot of it—the property holding cost and the and the cost of being a public company—are pretty much fixed.
0: I understand, and I noticed like so you did mention it just that You know, you are a big shareholder. You're sitting on something. There's not that many shares out for a start. But you're sitting you're sitting on like 30 million. You're sitting on about four four point seven something like that. Is
1: that yeah, right? About almost
0: five million shares. Five million shares. So yeah, you are you you're you're into this. I mean was that was that have you been buying in the open market or have you were you is that what you did as part of the when you did your you're rolling this into the shell originally? I mean how have how have you done that? Acquired well, some I
1: acquired my shares, you know, when we when we set up the company. We were a private company when we first set this up. Okay. I owned, I owned fifty percent of it to start with. And of course, I've been diluted when we brought in public shareholders, and when we made acquisitions like the Black Range acquisition was a share right. exchange. So you know, my ownership percentage has gone down, uh, obviously, uh, yeah. simply because you know we've brought in, we became a public company. You know, we've issued, you know, done private placements, and we bought Black Range in a share transaction.
0: And so you, I mean, obviously, that's, that's still a big chunk. I mean, five million out of uh, out of thirty is is significant. Um, but but that's the case of being and diluted down from whatever shows you issued yourself originally. Um, okay, understood. And does that mean do you, do you pay yourself? Or do you, I mean, do you pay? I mean, I know there's only two and a half of you. I presume you take salaries and so forth, don't you? Or do you just you know do stock options? How do you remunerate yourselves?
1: Yeah, I've got a few stock options. Uh, but now, and I get a salary out of the company. That's all public information. Low as anybody in this industry with our resources. <laughs> You know, again, but you know, I made an interview and I said, anybody else that wants to do this
0: job for the same price that's got qualifications, have at it. <laughs> I'm not stepping forward, no. Uh, <laughs> George, lovely to meet you, first of all, and thank you very much for all the time you gave us today. It's very generous of you. I do appreciate that. Best of luck this week. Stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. Sounds like a lot of moving parts here which need to kind of come together. Uh, but be very pleased and excited to um, hear you uh, hear from you again if that's if you've got the time. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, Cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.